Hello, I'm Caroline Jones, the Wellington College Archivist, and this is my regular Out of the Archives podcast. This week, Wellington is about to stage its first ever virtual speech day, a new way of doing something that's been done for a long time. So in this week's podcast, I'll be looking back at the history of speech day, how it started and what's changed over the years. When Wellington first opened in 1859, a speech day, or something like it, was already an established tradition at many of the existing public schools in England. In these older schools, it seems to have grown out of the custom of the school's governors or other authorities periodically visiting to check whether everything was being run as it should be and whether the students were being educated satisfactorily. For example, at Abingdon School, an annual visitation was instituted in 1563 and was to see whether the boys do profit by their learning or not. At Rugby, the trustees visited the school four times a year to inspect it. By about 1700, the summer visit had become the most important, and the pupils would compose and recite Latin and English verses in order to show off their learning to the trustees. These were the original speeches, not what we now think of, the speeches by the Master, Chair of Governors and so on. That comparison to rugby is useful, because the first Master of Wellington, Edward White Benson, had previously been a teacher at rugby, so perhaps it's fair to assume that he modelled Wellington's speech days on what he'd seen there. In the college archives, we actually have Benson's own handwritten notes for the very first speech day, held on Monday, June the 20th, 1859, only six months after the school had opened. They show that the day included two chapel services, morning and afternoon, as well as a prize-giving ceremony, and cheering on the terrace after tea. I'm not quite sure who or what they were cheering. It's likely that this first speech day was pretty small. After all, there were fewer than 100 boys in the school, and in those days it was much less common for parents to attend. Don't forget many of the parents would have lived a long way from college, and travel was not as quick or easy as it is now. But the day would be attended by some of the governors and other distinguished visitors. Over the next year, Edward Benson devoted a lot of effort to persuading the governors and other high-profile benefactors to give prizes to the school. The most famous of these, the Queen's Medal, was first awarded the next year, 1860. By 1861, we have a printed list of the various prizes on offer. Uh, and we know that at least three of these have been awarded ever since and are still awarded today. They're the Queen's Medal, the Prince Consort's History Prize and the Earl of Derby's Prize for French. Since then, of course, many more have been added, as you'll see if you glance through the programme for a modern speech day. As I mentioned, in the Victorian era, it was common for students to compose and recite pieces in Latin and Greek at speech days, and that was something that Benson copied and chose to do at Wellington. In the archives, we have a copy of the first Greek iambics ever done in Wellington College. They were prepared by student Charles Turwitt Drake for Speech Day 1860. These public readings in Latin and Greek were a core part of Speech Day up until the 1890s when they were axed. Or, as the Wellington historian David Newsom put it, 
the agony of listening to terrified boys stumbling through Greek and Latin compositions was mercifully ended forever. Although prizes for Latin and Greek verse reading are still awarded to this day. Because Wellington wanted to be a modern school, our speech day featured not only Latin and Greek, but also performances of scenes from plays in French, German and English. And these were interspersed with the prize giving to liven things up a bit. It's easy to forget how innovative that was. But in 1875, one of the VIPs who who was making a speech commented that 30 years ago, French and German were as little thought of in our public schools as the language of the Cherokee Indians. Although the early speech days were small, because Wellington's governing body were a very illustrious bunch, there was seldom a shortage of VIPs, members of the aristocracy, MPs, bishops and so on. In 1871, the Wellingtonian reported, We were not on this occasion honoured with the presence of royalty, as though that was something unusual. Within the first ten years, it became the norm to have a special train which brought the VIPs down from London to Crowthorne. And that continued up until the First World War, but doesn't seem to have revived after it. To begin with, the prize-giving was held in either Great School or Waterloo Hall. But that changed in 1894, when the third master, Bertram Pollock, arrived. He moved the prize-giving ceremony to the gymnasium, which had been built five years previously. Now, what we know as the old gym. Under Pollock, speech day entered a golden age. It became a large and glittering social occasion. Pollock unashamedly said that for the few weeks before each speech day, he devoted himself to snobbery. He had a real gift for sucking up to royalty and nobility and making them feel special and appreciated. And he planned each detail of speech day to make sure they had as nice a time as possible and that everything ran like clockwork. He moved the prize giving to after lunch so that the visitors were suitably wined and dined beforehand. And he made the actual ceremony shorter and more interesting. In his own speech, every distinguished guest present would get a carefully crafted compliment. By now, the day was a much bigger event, with parents present as well as VIPs. In the early years of the 20th century, there could be over 2,000 guests. The most important visitors would be treated to a lavish lunch at the Master's Lodge, while parents would lunch with their children in one of the halls. Tents and marquees on turf and south front would serve tea, cakes and fruits during the afternoon. Bertram Pollock's greatest triumphs came during the reign of King Edward VII. Edward had been president of the college since 1864, and so he'd quite often visited on speech day then, while he was Prince of Wales. But Pollock managed to persuade him to come three times during his nine years as king, in 1904, 07 and 09. These remain the only times that a reigning monarch has visited on speech day. In 1904, the king and queen didn't attend for the whole day. They arrived about 4.30pm. They drove along the kilometre past hordes of spectators and arrived at Great Gate, which was adorned with a pretty pavilion in broad bands of the Wellington colours of pale blue and gold. And there the king and the master gave short speeches, The King presented that year's King's Medal uh, before the King and Queen toured the college and took tea at the Master's Lodge. 
1907, the king and queen came again. Plus, we're told, the prince and princess of Wales, and no less than five other royal personages, and a large and exceptionally brilliant general company. Again, the king arrived about four o'clock. He opened the new dining hall, i.e. the current dining hall. He presented the king's medal and what was then a new prize, the Toy Challenge Trophy, which has been presented ever since to the house with the highest academic achievement. The royal party then went to the chapel where there was a short service and the king unveiled the Boer War Memorial before again having tea. The 1909 visit was the biggest of all because 1909 was the college's 50-year anniversary, so it warranted a special celebration. In the archives we have pages of typewritten notes by Pollock, the master, full of little details to ensure that everything went smoothly. You can tell they're very personal because he talks about my house, my garden, and so on. This time the royal party actually came for lunch in the Waterloo Hall, which at that time was called the Royal Room. Dr Pollock brought in waiting staff from Harrods to wait at the tables, and his notes even include instructions on what should be done with drunken waiters. He also sent over to Windsor Castle to get the recipe for the King's and Queen's favourite summer drink. We have that in the archives as well. After lunch, the King and Queen attended the prize-giving ceremony in the new dining hall and had a short service around the foundation stone before leaving. It's an interesting point that during this golden age, Speech Day was actually cancelled four times between 1900 and 1910. Twice, this was because the college's vice president had died shortly before the big day, firstly the Duke of Wellington um, and later the Earl of Derby. On the other two occasions, it was because of the death of the monarch, Queen Victoria and then Edward VII. Although in the case of the Queen, she actually died in January, five months before Speech Day, not immediately before. I think that tells us something about the mourning customs and conventions of the time. The Victorian and Edwardian era was when they were at their most formal. Never before or since has Speech Day been cancelled because of the death of an individual. During the two world wars, a smaller, more low-key ceremony was held and it was called prize-giving rather than speech day. So 2020's virtual lockdown speech day will be another first, and we hope the last in Wellington's history. A fundamental aspect of the day which has changed over the years is the date. In the earliest years, it varied a bit, but was always in May, June or July. But quite quickly it became established as Waterloo Day, the 18th of June. Of course, very appropriate because of the school's connection with the Duke of Wellington. So, from 1870 or earlier, right up until the First World War, Speech Day was held on the 18th of June, unless that was a Sunday, in which case it would be one day earlier or later. There were frequent lamentations at the time that this caused it to clash with Royal Ascot Week, meaning that many of the fashionable guests had to make a choice which one to attend. After the First World War, it seems to have been standardised to a Saturday, so whichever was the closest Saturday to the 18th of June. From 1953, it was moved a week or so earlier, because the new A-level examinations came in and they were earlier. So it was held any time within the first two weeks of June, until 1988 when it moved to May, 
the Saturday of the late May bank holiday, where it's been ever since. I think that might be because the college started having a proper half-term holiday at that time, rather than just a long weekend following speech day. The venues also changed over the years. Basically, it seems to have been one long search for a room that was big enough. As we've seen, Waterloo Hall, Great School, the Old Gym and the Dining Hall have all been used. Then, in more recent years, the Christopher Lee Theatre and the Newsome Sports Hall. For most of the 20th century, no room was big enough for all of the students plus their guests, so only a limited number of students and families were at the ceremony, mostly the prize winners. The master Anthony Selden wasn't happy with that arrangement, so for a few years, two ceremonies were held one after the other so that everyone could attend. Then in 2013, the problem was solved, for the moment, by the adoption of the Big Top, which has been used ever since. The Eve of Speech Day concerts is a much-loved part of our Speech Day tradition, and it goes back a long way. The first mention I found of a concert is in 1872, when it took place in the afternoon of Speech Day itself. After a few years, it was moved to the Saturday afterwards, and then eventually to the evening before. In 1884, the newly written school song, The Carmen Heroidum, was sung at the concert for the first time, and it soon became the traditional way to end the evening. In 1965, the yearbook reported that the Carmen was sung just as it should be, as badly but as loudly as ever. By the 1930s, it was the custom for the prefects to perform a song in the concert. This was generally a comic number, either by design or simply because they did it badly. Perhaps that's a custom that we should revive. The first exhibition of students' artwork for Speech Day seems to have happened in 1881. And that really is something that's happened ever since, as many of you will know. The Wellingtonian of 1893 was perhaps rude, or maybe just honest, to comment that the walls were, as usual, decorated with prize drawings executed by boys of the college, some of which were extremely creditable. The Rifle Corps, or CCF, has also taken a prominent role on Speech Day ever since its foundation, and sports events have also been a big part of the day. For a long time, gymnastics displays were popular, and the school would compete against Old Wellingtonians at cricket, shooting and swimming. A special and unique part of Speech Day is, of course, callover. Callover is really just Wellington's name for taking the register, and as such it's part of the daily life of the college. It still happens daily within the houses. But in the 19th century, the whole school assembled each afternoon in one of the quads for callover by the master. The first time it's mentioned in connection with Speech Day is in 1906, when the yearbook records that after the speeches, the company attended the calling over in the back quadrangle. Gradually, it seems to have become part of the fabric of Speech Day, and by the 1960s, it's described as the traditional end to the day. After that, a whole school callover gradually ceased to be a regular part of school life and just became particularly associated with Speech Day. By 1999, callover had moved to South Front, where it continues to be held each year, until now, of course. But I think it's a very special part of the Wellington tradition, and I do hope to see it back again next year.
That's all from me this week. For those old Wellingtonians listening, I hope this has brought back a few memories. To all current members of the college community, please enjoy Virtual Speech Day on Saturday and celebrate the fact that although it will be a bit different this year, you will still be carrying on a very long and special tradition.